0: Welcome to my art form It's time for Post-Orthodoxy A show about changing our minds Yeah baby
1: With your hosts Dark and Ainsley Sevier Maybe what they believe about reality Isn't all of reality What? I know, right? We are on a mission to have a better time with more people more often. The question is, how do you...
2: Post-Orthodoxy explores strongly held beliefs, how those belief systems divide or connect people, and what might be found beyond those reality bubbles. Keep calm. Don't lose your head. I've got a piece of chocolate here with me because i got anxiety about doing this. Welcome to this neighborhood, neighbor, neighbor, neighbor. Welcome to Post-Orthodoxy Season 3, Episode 2. Here we are. I'm your host, Dark Sevier. This is our co-host, Ainsley Sevier.
1: And our our special guest. Oh, no, wait. We're bringing our our special guest on in a minute. Right. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, um, we've set up so much cool stuff in advance of our first zoom guest of season three. Uh, but one thing that I forgot to change was the title of this video. This is episode two. Oh boy. It's not episode one. Welcome back. Uh, Uh, it's episode two and we're very, very grateful to have, um, professor Fabio Vigi from Cardiff. Yes, but he's Italian. That's what I know about him so far. I'm the, I'm the double blind dark's done a ton of research. Um, and we're very excited. Um, to have this guest. So this is episode 2. Thank you thank you for joining us and now we're going to introduce we're going to bring our guest on.
2: Do we want to do our disclaimer for? The oh show? yeah, we
1: better do a disclaimer, guys. Um, okay, because like I had. A I mental- know we're
2: in rough times. I
1: I, I had a mental breakdown just this weekend about a strongly held belief of mine that was confronted by some scientific data, and um, and it reminded me how important mm. it is to let you guys know that this conversation is specifically for people who are already wondering what's going on, and if you're not wondering what's going on, you might find this conversation to be primally scary. It might cause you to feel defensive. We ask questions about all the things that you're not supposed to ask questions about. Anything that's dogmatic, we like to challenge. We like to introduce reasonable doubt into lockdown belief systems and perspectives on reality in every sphere. That might be marriage, religion, politics, science, history, etc.
2: Sounds good. So um, uh, view at your own discretion.
1: But do participate if you'd like to. You could be a friend of the yep. show or a frenemy of the show. Either way, we are streaming on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch, and we have a bot set up that will take your comments and put them all in the center for everybody to participate in. And we do this because we want to be having a conversation with you guys. So thank you so much to everybody who's going to join today. Um, and now... Perfe- Welcome to the uh, show, yeah. No, uh, Fabio. Fabio Vigi,
0: live from... I'm live. you know. Are you in Cardiff? I'm in Cardiff, yes.
1: Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for inviting me. Pleasure to be here.
1: This is really exciting. I was mentioning in our little prequel show, um, our little prequel before the show, that you're the first person that we've interviewed on Post-Orthodoxy that neither Dark nor I have ever met.
2: Right. You came into my field of view because, um, as I was saying before we went live, uh, for the rest of the audience out there, we finished off season two where i felt like i was burnt out on what i call the coronavirus narrative um it's a bit crazy making perceptually destabilizing mm. And I've spent—we've spent the last two years trying to get um, things. Don't seem right. Our spidey sense has been going off, so we've been having to educate ourselves on everything from data analysis to psychology and emerging ideas about the psychology of this virus, uh, economic questions, uh, medical questions, establishment questions, alternative questions. And really, it feels, like, um, it feels like a lot of mosquitoes to me. There's been so much crazy-making information, misinformation, disinformation, changing definitions of words mm. that the final um, episode, I was like, I'm done with this. We know who's doing this. It's the same fuckers who did the subprime mortgage crisis. It's the same fuckers who have been fucking this for a long time. They, it, the same people are getting rich, and the same people are getting screwed.
1: Mm, that does seem to be the case.
2: And if you take the coronavirus narrative off, it's the same story that's just been going on with coronavirus.
1: And then along came Fabio and he was like all of those things, but in a really beautiful article.
2: Right. I want to I want to come out the gate. We're going to come out the gate swinging because I want to read <laughs> a paragraph from this piece. I'd like to, the the piece that I read was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Systemic collapse and pandemic simulation. This is from the Philosophical Salon. I don't know if that's the website that is part of.
1: He could tell you the
2: Los Angeles Review of Books, or if that's, lost, it. that's what it is. So um, I, I found this. I don't know where I found you. Somebody on Twitter probably. But I found the article and I read it and I'm like, oh boy, he's the guy who says all the things that I haven't. been... To. he, it's like all the things got stitched together with that piece for me. And there's one paragraph that I want to read, and then I would like you to tell me, tell me about it. Uh, (laughs) And the paragraph goes like this. The mainstream narrative should therefore be reversed. The stock market did not collapse in March 2020 because lockdowns had to be imposed. Rather, lockdowns had to be imposed because financial markets were collapsing. With lockdowns came the suspension of business transactions, which drained the demand for credit and stopped... The contagion, in other words, restructuring the financial architecture through extraordinary monetary policy was contingent on the economy's engine being turned off. Had the enormous mass of liquidity pumped into the financial sector reached transactions on the ground, the monetary tsunami, uh, a monetary tsunami with catastrophic consequences would have been unleashed. That is Mm. a lot for, I think, most folks
0: who watch the regular it. news. Mm. That's the message really, in that kind of condensed, that's the condensed message that I wanted to, um, you know, to people to hear, because I think that's really crucial. Um, do, do you want me to ask, do you want to ask a question or should I just elaborate? Or? I
2: do, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to start with this paragraph because that statement that the stock market didn't collapse because of the, of the lockdowns, yeah. but rather were created yeah. The, the virus was cre. The narrative was created, right, because of the financial situation. Yes. Yeah. Please tell me <laughs> how that is the case. How did I'd you come to- by that perspective? Yeah. It's
0: interesting because I've been working in philosophy, right? Recently, kind of fairly abstract theories, um, psychoanalysis, um, Hegelian philosophy, and so on. Right. I was writing a book and so on about it, but. Um, I, I kind of found myself doing a bit of kind of investigative journalism about this um, because all of a sudden I came across some documents that confirmed to me what I suspected, and that's that in two thousand and nineteen, the system was on the verge of uh, another two thousand and eight, basically, right? Was really close to collapsing, but I think the collapse would have been much bigger than two thousand and eight, much more traumatic because obviously in the meantime, uh, the financial sector had been inflated hugely um, through QE policies, um, 11 years of basically the, um, the central bank, the Fed pumping money into the financial sector. So massive inflation of the financial sector between 2008 and 2019. And um, I came across some documents, first of all, by, the, um, the, by BlackRock. And it's interesting to see how BlackRock, which is the the largest investment fund in the world, right? It, it has, it, it, it manages about, at the moment, it's about 10, $10 trillion dollars, right? It manages that much money, which is, I mean, it's it's almost, you know, it's almost impossible to think. It's 10 plus 12 zeros. Well, um,
2: that's such a benign that they're um, <laughs> man, management they manage, manage things. They manage it. It sounds pretty you know benign. Yeah. Mm. And I would like it, you to maybe maybe tease out a little bit who BlackRock right. is, Managed who Vanguard is, and right. what but, but, kind of power do they have in the world that we live in? I,
0: th- I think they are the equivalent of world government, basically, right? They 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 are at the top, yeah. at the top, uh, simply because they manage so much money and they are um, they kind of invest everywhere. So shareholders in you know, all the big companies that you can think of, from Apple. You know, if if you look at sort of Yahoo Finance or something, you, and you type in uh, Apple or, or whatever, you will see that the major shareholders uh, are always the same guys: mm-hmm. Vanguard, BlackRock, almost inevitably. So they they control them effectively, right? Because they have such a huge control of the money. So they're not just managing constantly.
2: assets; they're a really driving yeah. narrative.
0: Right. Yeah. So basically, going back to what I was saying, in the summer of 2019, they, they issued this interesting document called um, um, "Dealing with the Next Downturn," and we are well before the virus, obviously. Right. Um, they are talking about a coming downturn, and they say basically they say, "Look, Fed, you have to do this if you want to stop or, or to deal with the next uh, recession, which is which is coming." Um, so they knew that the, the, the inflation of the financial sector was, had become unsustainable right? with, 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 with what they were doing at the time, um, full of junk, full of, to- full of toxic assets, um, and, and, and there was nothing to do, really, um, apart from finding some kind of a way out that obviously would work in terms of creating some kind of extreme narrative or extreme solution, even in terms of monetary policy. And they suggested, basically, to the Fed, or suggested is a euphemism, right? They told the Fed, basically, that they needed uh, extraordinary monetary policy. Um, So they needed, basically, they said they need to print more money and and give it directly to those who need it, you know, um, private spenders, public spenders in the financial market who are going under, Mm. and they desperately need cash, you know a uh, cash that is created out of nowhere incidentally right this is not cash that comes from from the real economy it's cash that is this created out of nowhere literally by the by the federal reserve the federal reserve has this power to create money out of nowhere and to give it to the people to the you know it has 24 primary dealers in wall street and um, national and international so american like, like you know bank of america JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, but also international. So you get, uh, for example, Deutsche Bank, et cetera. And, um, and basically they were saying you need to find a way to give them um, a huge amount of money uh, to prevent the whole system from collapsing. You know? So giving the money to the banks. To the banks, yeah. Okay. So yeah, basically right. that's, that's what they were saying to prevent uh, the coming tsunami, you know, because they, they saw that coming.
2: And, um, and when you say tsunami, can you tell me what would yeah, we what would a systemic like, collapse look like? Yeah. What would
1: have happened if well, they hadn't invented a bunch of money and given it to the overlords?
0: Right, right. Yeah, it, it basically means that you get a, a kind of um, a, a, a series, a domino effect of defaults within the financial sector. So you get typically it starts with a liquidity trap. So um, all of a sudden, people who normally lend money stop lending because the conditions for lending are not there. For example, you know, interest rate goes up or whatever. And that causes a domino effect that reaches eventually the real economy. So the problem would have, would have the contagion, to use a term that I think is very useful here, the contagion would have reached the real economy to the extent that perhaps you wouldn't have been able to draw money from the cash point, you know, because all of a sudden there was no money around. And that, of course, would have led to um, civil war. I'd say you know it would have led to chaos, and a kind of chaos that is difficult to manage. Um, so I think the situation was 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 uh, quite quite dr- dramatic. And um, to get BlackRock to say something like "you've got to find an unusual, an unconventional monetary policy to stem this tide which is coming," um, it's it's quite you know, remarkable and not only BlackRock, but also the Bank of International Settlements, which is the central bank of all central banks.
3: Mm.
0: It's, it's, it's kind of organizes and it's it's uh, based in Switzerland and so on. So there's a number of events uh, that took place before that already were signaling that the situation was getting much worse, you know, uh, and that's 2019. Um, then there's uh, there's, the, there's the G7, Meeting in in Wyoming where they where the bankers the central bankers normally meet, and they discuss um, they discuss this kind of monetary policy. They say, okay, so what do we have to do uh, here? Let, let's let's have a discussion about. Basically, they they're discussing BlackRock's document, you know, about what to do to stop this. Some unusual recession. policy, yes. Yeah, unusual policy to you know to use another euphemism, um, <laughs> and and basically a month later, a month later. So in September 2019, mid September 2019, you get a liquidity trap. Exactly what happened in 2008. You know, in 2007 um, so to, to kick to kickstart the, the 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 Great Recession of 2008, liquidity trap in the repo market. The repo market is quite a central, important, very important market within the financial sector, where basically um, it's a kind of lending market where, where banks and financial institutions lend each other money um, uh, at very low rates, interest rates, and it's normally overnight. So basically you lend money um, during the day and you know within 24 hours, you're paid back that money. In the meantime, those who borrow the money use it to speculate on other markets, like you know, derivatives market, which is a huge galaxy. We don't even know how much money uh, there is in derivatives market and other markets. So it's really a crucial, uh, a crucial market and like you know, huge in terms of you know the amount of money that is exchanged there. The, the repo stands for repurchase agreement, so it's an agreement to repurchase the money that you lend, that that you borrow within. Normally overnight, so it's okay. like within twenty four hours. So basically, that got uh, blocked. Uh, there was a, there was a liquidity trap there. They this, this they stopped lending, basically, okay. right? And that caused panic. And it takes very little if the system is uh, already um, in trouble. You know, we're talking about a hyper indebted system. But borrowing is crucial. Borrowing at low rates is crucial. For all the rest, it's like I'm a, a, a massive Jenga, you know. You take a piece, and you take it off wrongly. Everything collapses.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's that's my kind of the metaphor that I think explains what 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 might happen if something goes wrong in a very crucial, you know, part of the, of the, um, of the financial sector. Um, um, you know, you can think of it as a castle of cards. Uh, you know, a house of cards built on a, a pool of, of of gasoline. You know, it takes very little for it to explode. <laughs> yeah, that's another image that will give you that's an idea.
1: It was really bad. Um, and
0: I think, and I think, what was going on, um, what went on actually with the repo market crisis was, was the event in a sense that would have would have caused um, kind of collapse. Within within the system itself, as, as I said, uh, it, it would have it would have made uh, 2008 look like um, a walk in the park. So that's, what, that's the kind of dimension mm-hmm. that we're talking about here. So right. it was necessary to do something about it, and um, effectively, as soon as that happened, the Fed came in and started printing money by the cartload. So they started printing billions on a weekly on a weekly basis. And get, now we know that because some research has been done, some some figures have come out. We know exactly. That that the Fed started printing not not um, after COVID but before COVID, so they started printing all this money uh, in September 2019. Between September 2019 and July 2020, the Fed printed 11.23 trillion dollars, which is which not is even an astonishing. Can't I mean, it's what
1: that, that doesn't that do lies. anything to
0: my brain. It just becomes an abstract. I know. I know exactly. You know, Kant, uh, the German philosopher Immanuel Kant would have called it kind of mathematical sublime, you know, it's kind of not, <laughs> like, unimaginable. Right. I can't imagine it. I don't so know put that. trillions of
2: dollars, one. and where did the trillion dollars, <laughs> trillions of dollars, where did that, those yeah, dollars talking trillions go? for me,
0: you know, yeah. Where did it go? Oh, it, it went, now we know that, it went to the banks that needed it. It went to the, you know, the Deutsche Bank, it went to... um uh, the usual suspects, you know, the, the J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs, et cetera, et cetera, because there were they 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 were exposed, right? They were exposed and clearly. Um, so the Fed printed the money because the
2: banks were too big to fail. Right. It's that story again, right?
0: And they, yeah, and they called it going direct. Um, under obviously that was the t- a term that was used by. Um, by blackrock so you, blackrock said you've got to find a way of going direct of giving this money directly you know put them put it put this money directly in the hands of 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 these spenders those people who need it um to avoid the coming uh this downturn was... as they call it right and right. and so then we get the repo crisis i'm not sure i'm not sure the extent to which that repo crisis was um accidental or, or, you know, or, or by design. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, Could it seem to be the perfect accident, you know, for, for the Fed to intervene, to start, to start creating this money out of nowhere. But clearly, in a sense, they needed something else, right? And that's where the pandemic comes in. And w- why do they need something else, right? I mean, this, is, this becomes very counterintuitive. Because people normally think, Capitalism is all about consuming, consumption, and and, and creating consumption. It has been like that for for many years. But all of a sudden, if you think they pump so much money into the system, to the financial sector, the moment this money starts to leak into the real economy, and the real economy, as we know, is is based on credit, you know, the you know, everybody needs credit, needs money. When you
2: say the real economy, that's mortgages, car loans.
0: Well, the retail economy, whatever we think, okay. you know, okay. our, our economy. The okay. economy as we understand it, like, you know, we, I don't particularly understand the financial sector, rather, I'm kind of learning about it. Mm. But the economy for us is the everyday sort of everyday life economy, you know. Okay. Then, so the, mo- the money coming down uh, from the financial sector into the real economy all that money would have caused hyperinflation, right? And um, hyperinflation is something that, that that BlackRock warned about in that document too, right? In that document, uh, they said, okay, we need, we need to find a way of controlling or or uh, avoiding hyperinflation, avoiding situations, and they mentioned uh, situations like Weimar in the twenties, where you, you you had to go, you know, with, with a, a with wheelbarrow. A, B- bags of dollars to buy a bit yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Uh, or, uh, to buy bread. And, so that's what
2: it looked like could have happened with those 11 it could trillion happened, yes. dollars. So
0: Be- wait, 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 sim- wait. Simply because the, the monetary, the mass of money thrown into the system is <clears throat> so huge and it's additional money out of nowhere. It's not money that comes from the real economy. It's not money that comes from profits and so on. It's money that just, it's added to to the money that is already circulating. So the moment the moment that new mass of money begins to circulate at high velocity, In the real economy, you get inflation or potentially hyperinflation, right? So I think they were they were aware of it and they said, sorry, i was going to stop here before you. No, go ahead. So so basically, they needed to find a way of, and this is a phrase that I've I've um, I've read in the in 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 a a document by the uh, uh, Bank of International Settlements saying literally, we've got to find a way of insulating the real economy. So the term to insulate the real economy, you
3: yeah, know, what does that it, mean?
0: it's it's you know it gives it away, doesn't it? It really <laughs> suggests that the, and and insulating the real economy is what COVID did, lockdowns, restrictions of all sorts, and it's still doing it in many ways. Um, lockdowns are by definition deflationary, right? They 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 are measures that that stop money from circulating too fast so this they prevent yeah
1: okay okay, yes. okay. recap recap
0: no recap sorry <laughs> no, no, gone okay. too far
1: No, this is great this is great so there's the norm quote unquote normal economy and uh my person i grew up like i grew up really republican so i was taught about trickle down yeah that, that <laughs> if bo- if bosses have money then employees have money so we really want yeah. the bosses to have money um, yeah. otherwise the employees won't have any and then when the lockdowns happened and they gave money to the people it was like oh it's almost like if the people don't have money then businesses don't get anything purchased and then it's oh it's actually like almost like it's more like bubble up like bubble up finances was yeah. what i was seeing practically speaking on my end as a, as a citizen um, but what you're saying is there was the normal economy sort of pooping right. along. And then something was getting so bad that they decided to add a shit ton of money.
0: That's to the right. banks. Yes. To, the,
1: to the up here. Yep.
0: To the, so, the banks so the banks that they were could sort fail. out their issues. Yeah.
1: So what? what yeah. first of all, what problem were they trying to solve by giving money up here? Initially, well, pre-locked
0: notes. Yeah, I mean, obviously they need, they need money so that they can continue to invest. They can continue to speculate. And that they can continue to, um, hold on to kind of create the illusion. The, the, the value created in the financial sector is real value, right? It's all speculations. It's, we know it's a house of cards, right? It, it depends on this constant speculation. If something it, it feels goes wrong, like drug then, then addiction. It, it, it feels right, like a drug addiction.
2: They like, yeah. what do you do after $11 trillion? Like what does it get better from
0: there? They, they continue to speculate and to invest, and 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 you know the the the, the and and so on. But so the moment that there's a problem, insofar as, for example, there's a liquidity trap and money doesn't circulate fast enough, everything collapses potentially, right, in the financial sector, and then the repercussions. sort of we feel the repercussions down on the ground as well of all that.
1: So this simply is because
0: sorry the, go the ahead. other point that the other point, the other point I want, mm-hmm. wanted wanted to, to add here is that you know the situation now. Uh, is that the financial sector is is the, the driving force of the whole economy. It, it used to be the opposite. It financial sector the, is
2: Wall Street. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, Wall it's Street.
0: Um, Wall Street. Fundamentally okay. Wall Street, but Great. also yeah, in other parts of the world, but fundamentally Wall Street. Yes, the New York force. Uh, New, yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that there's a massive disproportion between the value created in the financial sector, and the value created in the real economy. We can talk about it a bit later, but just to give you an idea, there's a huge disproportion. So if something goes wrong at the top, um, we get squashed at the bottom, basically, right? We get destroyed at the bottom very quickly. and That's the paradox, that it needs to be kept alive. It needs to be kept going, because otherwise we all suffer huge consequences. Mm-hmm. So we kind of we kind of snookered ourselves, right? Uh, after years and years of wild speculative capitalism effectively, we have snookered ourselves that we we depend
1: what word so much
0: snookered. on this on this.
1: Oh, snookered. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Sorry, snookered is. You know what snookering is?
1: Like um, like pulled one over on yourself. Like um, like you tricked yourself. You 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 you.
0: Yeah, we we kind of we. Over. we Right yeah yeah that's the idea. Snooker obviously snook- snooker is a UK yeah sport I don't know what yeah, It's yeah. like it's yeah, like, like where, pool. where 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 you're deadlocked effectively right mm. you don't know what to mm-hmm. do next mm-hmm. to get out of the problem. Mm. Um, um so you know I I think hyperinflation was a real uh, possibility and um, they they had to to create an emergency a global emergency that would that would stop money circulating too fast. Um, and I don't want to speculate further on how they, they they created it or whether you know
1: how many parts are impossible. It's impossible, quote, it's
0: impossible for me to say. Right, it's impossible course. for me to say. But it's clear. I think if you join the the dots, you know, you clearly see that there's a very interesting kind of chronological order there in what in what was happening in 2019, and then and then and then the virus came to um, to, to kind of help them out of trouble effectively because through the virus and through the the restrictions and so on. They they could um, freeze the real economy to an extent, right? They could turn the, the engine off, literally, of the real economy, slow down, at least, hugely, the real economy, prevent money from circulating too quickly, and sort out all the issues that, that they had in the financial sector by printing more money and throwing it into the financial sector. And one of the things people think often is that the money you throw into the financial sector stays there. <laughs> right. That stays there. Um, But the banks lend it into the real economy. And so it begins to circulate there as well. Anyway.
1: Okay, so... We
0: can discuss the nitty-gritty if you want. Um,
1: So growing up a little baby Christian Republican, um, I, I was like, free market is king, Mm. And my understanding of the free market was a citizen-based understanding of the free market. I didn't have a concept of the Federal Reserve or the fact that all money in America is debt to the Federal Reserve and doesn't truly exist or have anything it's based on. And so for me, I was like, free market is great because that means – I can have a mush- muffin shop, and my friend can have a muffin shop. And if my muffins are better, and I have better deals, people will buy my muffins more than they will buy my friend's muffins. That's the way it should be. If my friend yeah, it, ends up being an asshole to someone, their friends aren't going to go buy muffins from her anymore. You know.
0: You, you talked about a trickle down economy, right? That's the message that we got for for many years. Yeah. That you know those profits eventually come down to to, to us. They help everybody. Right. That's which is not even necessarily true, but, mm-hmm. you know, it, it works as a fantasy, at least. No, we can all <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it would be nice. Yeah. It's, it's quite nice. But <laughs> here we have a different problem. Right. Because the real big profits are not made in the real economy any longer. You know, the, the big profits are, are made in the financial sector.
1: In these and like the app games. Sector,
0: and the financial sector needs constantly help from the Federal Reserve in terms of money printing and the, therefore potential money devaluation. Because the more money there is and the more money that reaches the ground creates potentially inflation or deflation. Depends, you know, it depends on that. But in both cases, it's money devaluation. You know, It's a great devaluation, which means that your money is worth less and less and less and less, mm-hmm. which is actually what's going on today. Today we already have inflation. You no, know, the moment you open the economy, of course you you were going to have inflation. It's it's something that they knew. I mean, that's why I'm saying it's not by accident but by design, mm-hmm. because well, it, they must they must have known that the, the moment the, the, the after all that money they throw into the system, the moment they reopen they get inflation. And you know that in, in the States now you've got 7%, in right. Europe you've got 5% inflation. So now
1: Paul on YouTube uh, asked, um, isn't isn't this just pushing the crisis off a little bit? Like, isn't haven't we just pushed it? Yeah, it's, like it's, we haven't it's solved kicking the, problem. the can. No, they just it's pushed it forward. The can.
0: Yeah, it's kicking the can. You know, it's really, it's it's, um, it's kicking the can, They're not wanting to see the crisis, pretending that it's not there, right. denying that we have a problem with the system that the system is not working any longer as it used to work you know i don't know for 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 a few decades at least after after the end of the war um it did work or at least you know it, it had some kind of um appeal and, and and also some you know it did work for for a lot of people at least and um now now it's not even that the middle classes are disappearing, basically, right? Um, so what they, happened during
2: the subprime mortgage crisis? They gave out a bunch of loans to people.
1: Was that yeah. 2008?
2: 2007. They, they, yep.
0: You know, it's, it's the bailout, you know, the idea that they were bailed out by the bank. The, <laughs> the banks were bailed out. And, and, and once again, right, of, of course, we all hate the fact that we had to bail out the, the banks. Mm. The problem is that if we let the banks fail, there's another there's there's a domino effect on, on the whole of society. Right. So we created right. a system that we created a very perverse system which which requires these big banks to continue to to make their speculations and and, 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 and you know with the help of the of the Federal Reserve. Otherwise uh, the you know large parts of society are are wiped out um, because we depend so much on, as I said, on the financial sector.
2: What happened? So we need
0: to... Re- yeah,
2: I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no carry um, on, carry because, on. Because for me, I, I have a, I'm a very visual brain. And so I want to see if I'm understanding what you're saying. Otherwise, I start mm. to get backlogged in information. Yes. Um, in the subprime mortgage crisis, a bunch of people who normally wouldn't get loans got loans mm. is what happened in particularly in Los Angeles. So a lot of people who wouldn't get loans got loans They could get a house. And then in the mortgage crisis, um, their houses, everybody went underwater. A lot of people went underwater, which just means that they bought their house and now it was instantly, they owed more than the house was worth. Right. When that happened and people, the the bank foreclosed on the homes. And what happened in Los Angeles is instead of having a lots of residences, you now had rentals owned by the banks. And it became harder for people to actually get that step into financial security, which is often just buying a house. Mm -hmm. So when that happened, when they started talking about the lockdowns, we were talking about on our show, I'm like, this is going to be just like that crisis. And people are going to be out of work. When it went past two weeks, I'm like, people are going to be out of work. We're going to start losing businesses. We're going to start losing houses. And the banks Vanguard BlackRock is just going to come through and buy everything yeah. Now, it seems like that's not a bad deal for them.
0: Yeah, of course it's not. No, it's it's a good deal for them. They siphon, you know, they take all the, they, they kill the small businesses or the medium-sized businesses and then they just absorb them, right? Because it's like what the
2: USA did to countries all around the world. They give them loans, they can't afford it, and then they privatize everything. Yeah.
0: Yes, yes, that's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The the problem the problem now they have, it's the additional problem they have now is that they are so dependent on money printing that you know, I go back to my point that so they have inflated so much the financial sector that they know that 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 you know, that can create hyperinflation also down on the ground and and that would that that would mean something very nasty, you know, something that they don't want to do. They they don't want empty stomachs. They don't want people to go hungry. Um, because because people can you know can do nasty things. They'll start and, uh,
2: breaking things. Then
0: they yes. can start breaking things and, and looting and all the rest of it, and social chaos can emerge. So they don't want that to happen. And I think and I think emergency, what I call emergency capitalism, it's a new type of of effectively of a of a, of a, of a capital of a capitalist system whereby um, we, we're going to see m- more and more monetary control from above, from central banks particularly, and uh, and more and more kind of use of, kind of, cynical use of emergencies, uh, so-called emergencies, to create, uh, to, so that, that allows them to control people, to control uh, money uh, in various ways. Um, so, you know, I wasn't, I'm not surprised that we're still here two years later. Like Europe is, is under siege almost, you know, there's, <laughs> there's lockdowns again, um, uh, people are losing jobs, if they don't take the, vac- the vaccine, um, they're creating a condition almost like a a neo feudal a, a neo feudal type of capitalism, I would say, where very few are in control, you know, of the money uh, uh, above, and the others are deprived of rights, uh, controlled more and more under surveillance, and um, I think eventually they will be forced um, to this kind of um rent economy where basically they don't own anything they have to rent everything and they have to abide you know to the rules that and you'll be happy, are imposed on them apparently. you will
1: own nothing and you will like it right. world, I
0: think world. that's that's really they, they when they when they launch that slogan right <laughs> they deal nothing and uh, and you will be happy uh, they had to remove it straight away because clearly they made a mistake that they shouldn't have. <laughs> shouldn't allow <laughs> that in the night. But it's not real, mm-hmm. it's too it's too real to, to to you know to be shown to the people. So, I, I I started talking about it, and a few weeks later, I remember it wasn't there any longer. They it removed. Disappeared. It the yep. disappeared yep. Yeah. Disappeared. Um, yeah. But yeah, basically, they, what they envisage is, a kind of a kind of world where very few people are in control of the monetary uh, flow, and all the others. In one what would another have to be uh, reduced to? Yeah, this
2: is very important. We're talking about the world economic forum, is who we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. This right. is
0: the world economic
2: forum. It would yeah. be great and, if they
1: were benevolent dictators. Well,
2: they're right. they're talking like a, a Star Trek civilization where everything is amazing, except the oligarchs are still in control. They're using yeah, well, the great well, language, they, but they're they, no, they are, but they're still not giving up power. It's still there's no equity involved in their story. Nah.
0: No, so it's a controlled they, society. I mean, I think it's a it's 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 a it's a totalitarian society ultimately that they have in mind. They're just trying to to, to paint a picture where, wow, um, you know, we, if you do that, you can save the planet. Or if you if you do certain thing, you'd you, you have to do certain things. You'll be convinced to do certain things to sacrifice yes your freedom to sacrifice your freedom, uh, your basic freedoms in order yeah to do a good thing. I have um, so many that is sold as a good thing.
2: I have so many directions I want to go in right now. I have to <laughs> reel it all back in because there's so much to cover. I think there's things that we we just talk about the World Economic Forum. I don't think a lot of people know yeah. what the World Economic Forum is and who is the World Economic Forum compared to BlackRock. Are they is this the the hitmen I, you know, for BlackRock? Is when you or, enter are they rival so gangs so- or what?
0: <laughs> there's a, there's a system of revolving doors at that level, where everybody is in everybody else's pockets, basically, right? They're all <laughs> exchanging. Uh, and the World Economy Forum is one of those organizations. They meet in Davos, in Switzerland, you know, in this very uh, luxury location. And they have these mega meetings. They invite philosophers and, you know, people to talk about the future. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the guy, obviously, who started it and who's directing operations is this guy called uh, Schwab, Klaus Schwab.
2: I wish you could pull up um, that picture of his spaceman outfit. I, that he I haven't, likes to I'll wear. do yeah, it. Yeah,
3: there's some
0: interesting. <laughs> but I I haven't done too much research into it, but you know, I'm sure it's um something that like who's at the top, you know? I'm intre- interested to see who's really at the top. You can think about the top. I mean, we don't know who owns we don't know who owns really owns uh, BlackRock, for example. We don't really know that. I mean, there's there's a bunch of People who are in control of it, but we don't know exactly who they are.
2: We don't know who controls an entity that is more
0: powerful yes. than many governments combined. That's what you're right. saying. Yeah, I mean, there's... there's sounds it's, it's like, not a, exactly sounds like a conspiracy theory. It's not theory. exactly clear. You know, the, the CEO is Larry Fink and all the rest of it, and he has a lot of power and blah, blah, blah. But really, who's behind the scenes there? Who's directing... Operations. You can maybe you can go back to kind of families like the Rockefeller and the Rothschilds. They're still around, you know, and mm-hmm. they're, they're still very, very much in, in very powerful. In the game, um, they're very much in the game, and um and I and probably that the, there are conflicts at the top as well between these very very powerful people. So some want to go in a certain direction, some others will go in a different directions So. um I, you know, maybe that's our best chance in many ways, right? That, that they, they, um, they're not clear themselves about what the future will be. Um, some of them like, like Schwab is very clear. He's written a few books about the great reset and, uh, and, um, the way in which we, we will owe nothing and, and, and be happy. Um, but it's, they're not all in agreement. Let's put it like that. I'm pretty sure they're not all in agreement. And, um, that maybe it's 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 it's, it's our, our biggest hope that something might go wrong in this. I, I in think this I plan.
2: experience a lot of cognitive dissonance when we talk calmly about a system that is clearly absurd. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, why are we uh, calm? We're, we're just us- We're talking. We're talking about <laughs> a clearly deranged, unsustainable system
0: it's in, a, it's a, in sort yeah, of casual, that's what it is.
2: wonkish terms. And I think right. it under it doesn't it does it be, it doesn't really um, it's hard to talk about it in calm terms without mm. delivering the severity of the situation. Right. But to talk about it in emotional terms makes you look like a kook. <laughs> and I feel a cognitive dissonance between these trying to figure out how to balance is this yeah. as bad as it seems? And if it is, is there an alternative? Is there something it, that could be done it, it, other it is, than this?
0: It is definitely as bad as it is, right? I'm pretty sure. Um, I, I look at it like I hate to personalize guilt. I, I hate to say, oh, it's, it's, it's Schwab's fault. Because mm. I think th- that is silly conspiracy theory, right? I mean, I really don't believe that. I think I, I'm more into into uh, understanding how the system works, how the system develops, and how the system develops to a point where it's bound to collapse, because there's no room for further development. Um, And I think that's where we are. All great systems, all great empires, if you think about the Roman Empire, they developed up to a point where, you know, they couldn't go any further. And, And the problem tends to be all the time that they deny, constantly deny that there's a problem, right? There's this denial of the problem itself. So they continue to do exactly what has led them to a crisis, they they decide to be blind towards the problem itself, right? And I think with capitalism, with the capitalist system as we know it, we are very much in that situation where, you know, all this money printing is, is denial. It's denial of the fact that the system is unable to sustain itself, to reproduce itself in the way it reproduced itself up until maybe 30 or 40 years ago. Right now, it's incapable of doing it for reasons that we can discuss, and I, I, I have my own explanation for it. Um, I would love to hear it. <laughs> yeah, the, the system is unable to uh, to reproduce itself because, you know, here we need to understand what capitalism is. Capitalism is based on human labor, right? It's the exploitation or the employment of human labor. Now, since the, the 1980s, more labor has been displaced from the system, then reabsorbed into it. And that's simply because capitalism needed more and more technology and less and less labor, right? But by doing that, it not only damaged, of course, the workers, it also damaged itself because real wealth, real uh, profits, uh, real money is created through the employment of labor. That's where you get real growth. You don't get real growth in the financial sector, you get real growth by employing labor. And unfortunately, or simply because, I think it's an evolutionary thing, right? I don't think it's a choice. Um, at one point, there was all this technology that that businesses could use to increase their profits. They've invested in technology, and and, and they've disinvested in labor. And, and, and that has undermined the ability of capitalism itself to create wealth. And it's been happening since the 1980s. So it's artificially just, supplemented with these trillions right, of dollars. Exactly, right, exactly. Exactly. Third industrial revolution, digitalization beginning in the 1980s. That coincided with the growth the 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 inflating of the financial sector because more and more capitals, more and more capital was going into the financial sector than in the real economy. So simply because the real economy was less and less um, profitable because there was less and less labor there. Right. And the point is that you need to employ labor in order to create profits, to create surplus value. And then once you sell the commodity, you create profits out of it. But if you don't give, if you don't have people working, you don't give them money to spend, you never realize profits basically. Right. So I think, I think we need to think in systemic terms, think about the system evolving in a certain way, but in a kind of implosive way, because um, since the 1980s, fundamentally, there's been a contraction in the capacity of capitalism to create wealth in the real economy. And that contraction, as as you just said, has been counteracted by uh, the growth uh, the inflation of the financial sector. Um, but overall, it's bad news for the system itself, because, of course, the volatility of the financial sector means that it's prone to, you know, these kind of crisis. The 2008 one was the first one, the really bad one, you know, the, the first <laughs> big crisis. Denial of the problem, we've gone back to using the same medicine, the same treatment, and Now we've had, in 2019, another 2008, basically, after 10 years of kind of honeymoon, uh, easy money, uh, kind of capitalism. Um, And then we got to the point where the only way we can sustain the situation is, I think, through a kind of authoritarian uh, transformation. Um, So we're moving to authoritarian or totalitarian um, type of capitalism, which is the one I've kind of discussed before. Very few people controlling everything, and the others more or less reduced to it seems we're heading that way rather dramatically. We're definitely right heading that way. People are not fully realizing that this is really happening, right? this is this is really already happening. Um, and and it's, it seems it seems unstoppable at the moment. Obviously, uh, the hypnotic value of the Covid crisis has helped also in that respect. Because people only only think about COVID and they don't even realize what's going on around them. Or they're starting to realize now, obviously, because inflation, for example, is eating into their, uh, you know, money the, and 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 the savings and whatever. Um, so they're starting to realize that there's a problem. But insofar as they can be hypnotized by emergencies, you know. Right. So, so we have two. Walk.
1: We have two listener questions right now, um, participants. Uh, Darren from. Who I believe is also in the UK. Um, Darren uh, says, so you think our only hope is that the tyrants fall out of love with each other?
0: <laughs> I don't I don't think that's the only hope, right okay, I don't that's think that's the,
1: of, I, Like people are just gonna realize that it's all bogus and then the, the they'll just roll over and be like, okay, you can have the planet back. <laughs> like,
0: no, I think I think one mistake we often make is to to credit them with too much intelligence, too much. They are a bunch of idiots fundamentally. they are they are what, what, what I call of you know, bureaucrats of capitalism. They, they, they don't even, they just do it because they used to doing it and they don't even, they don't have a plan. A she describes plan, it like, an, like an app game.
1: That was what came to me when I began it's just, to understand. They just need
2: to make the numbers go up to right. win. They're bureaucrats,
0: they're functionaries. Yeah. It's of, an of, endorphin
1: of, rush of, for constant gain and more yes. gain than last time. It does, and, they're it's so, just... and,
0: and they're so invested into the, into the system. You know their lives and everything. Everything depends on continuing along that path, so they don't even dream for a second that there's something wrong with it necessarily. You know, and when they perhaps when they realize it's too late, so you know, or, or some of them obviously know, but they could, they they have no other ways of doing things. They continue to go uh, to go along, and it's been like that in the past as well. You know, it's not something new. <laughs> Humanity is is. is it's a bit stupid in that respect. You know? So we have a second question okay. before you the go. Mechanism, <laughs> the mechanism, the capitalist mechanism, as it were, is stronger than than human will in many ways. At
2: mm-hmm. this point, it seems very right. much the case. You have mm-hmm. another question?
1: Uh, yeah, Paul on YouTube asks if the professor, his words, not mine, has uh, <laughs> <laughs> if the professor has heard of Nesara or Gesara. It's like all caps, N-E-S-A-R-A. Mm. Or Gesara. Have you?
0: Does what that, is it? No, if you can. No, I haven't. She's looking. Nisara,
1: it the up. National Economic Security and Recovery Act, mm. and Gesara is Global Economic Security and Reformation Act. Huh. Have you I heard of those it, things? But
0: I, I, haven't looked into it at all. I'd. Um... Wow. So I'm, 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 my a, information is more It's a like global a prosperity
1: software. program on the verge of being announced and activated.
0: Oh, that sounds Orwellian. I don't want it. There's a lot of things going on like that, right? They, they, they will try to make us believe that that's the best way forward for everybody. The moment people lose their jobs, they will be given money from central banks, probably. Now they are thinking very hard about central bank digital currencies, which is a wonderful way to control how money is spent and used. Uh, so it's a form of slavery, fundamentally, right? So they're thinking long and hard about that. They're very open about it. Like all big, um, mm. you know, central bankers, and they are already preparing that next move, which will involve eliminating physical cash uh, and 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 imposing digital digital money, uh, which which means that they can control us completely. And you know, they are. In that sense, they they, they they can sell it to us as something very positive that is going to help us or is going to help somebody.
2: It's, it's the Chinese-style social credit system seems to be where they're moving yeah. on purpose. I think so. I think- and it goes hand in hand. So like this unusual thing that BlackRock said maybe should happen before the money hit the street, Right. it sounds like that uh, you're saying that this pandemic narrative needed to put the economy into a coma until they right. figured out what they were doing next. And exactly. yet, putting it into the coma is setting the stage for an agenda that's been coming for 30 years, which is the digital ID and a social passport so that if you do not are not compliant, then you no longer get to participate. And so the pandemic narrative is just a lens through which to enact something that has been in the books for a long time correct
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah absolutely correct and i think it's it it really is about it's about kind of protecting in in the short term protecting the the, the system from hyperinflation and from potential implosion because of that which feels also, inevitable it, which is in, yeah but also preparing the next stage right preparing the the, the attack as it were so yeah. defense and attack at the same time Attack means precisely creating those conditions you were talking about. For mm. example, digitalization. They they need time to prepare the digital infrastructure and impose it to on, on all of us. If you think about COVID passes, et cetera, they're ready to step into it because you know we are linked into the into the system through block b- blockchain technology will you know make make that even stronger. Um so yeah. I think if if we continue like this, we'll soon realize that we're fucked, basically.
2: (laughs) I want to hear your thoughts on there's the famous speech by um, Dwight Eisenhower when he left office that said, beware the military industrial complex. And then a few years later, people within the military industrial complex most likely conspired to kill a sitting president that wanted to talk about peace. Um, The military industrial complex has been defining American foreign policy. It is the American foreign policy yes. since, since uh, since when wasn't it? Since post-World War II. Oh, yeah.
1: Post-World War II? So,
2: pretty much. We didn't really have the military-industrial complex before then. We oh, had the a military, complex. but we didn't have I that see. complex. Yes. So I've been hearing people, and I was doing. I went down a rabbit hole to look into, uh, I heard the term medical-industrial complex. Mm-hmm. And that has been something that won't leave me alone now, is that I heard that the military-industrial complex, as um, the narrative of war becomes less fashionable, there has to be a transfer of power. And the medical-industrial complex feels like the new version of the military-industrial complex, where things are invented to keep up the relevance of the complex. Yes, Some yeah. people are not yeah, calling yeah. it public health; they're calling it disease management. Uh, uh,
0: yeah, I think yeah, I think there's a there's an obvious point there to make about wars not being kind of useful as they used to be. Because if you have a war now, we, you know, it's it going to be alive after after mm. a war like like we can do today? You know, if there's a proper if, if there's a world war today, then it's it's, it's the end. Game over. Uh, game over. But we but we have uh, we have other types of warfare. You know, like um, like. For example, the pandemic. That's that's another kind of work. It it does exactly what the war, what 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 um, wars used to do. It allows central banks to print, and uh, to inflate. You know, um, so it's very very similar mechanism as a matter of fact. You know, it's a kind of it's a different type of warfare, but it has very much the same effect. I would say very similar effect. Um, and so it's, you know, there's, there's this term creative destruction, creative destruction, which is a famous German uh, economist uh, called Joseph Schumpeter, used to use a lot. Um, the idea is that capitalism needs to destroy in order to, to create and to advance to the next uh, stage, also in terms of technological developments and so on and so forth. And in, in a sense, you can think of the pandemic also, as a kind of creative destruction, maybe in the way you've just signaled it, you know, like, yeah, the, the you know, the, the pharmaceutical industry now um, is becoming more and more prominent. Um, if you they, think they, about they, they what they've dictated our lives, they've dictated our lives for two years. They spend more than anybody else on lobbying, for example, more than big oil on both parties. Than, yeah, they yep. are, they are incredibly powerful. But we still need to think. We still need to put that into, into the context of the financial economy, the financial sector being the place where that dominates everything, absolutely everything today. Um, so
1: um, Darren on Twitch would love to hear Fabio's thoughts. Oh, I just lost it. Um it's blowing up over here. Would love to hear Fabio's thoughts on why they are doing this so fast. It feels panicked the last two years, unless mm-hmm. it was always the plan, but there's so much being pushed on the people. Surely from their point of view, too many people are waking up for their comfort.
0: Mm. Yes, and that, but that goes back to what I was saying about them not being fully in control, right? They are trying to exercise control over the situation. I, I tend to think that, that the pandemic scenario was planned. It was planned for a while. We had the 2009 pan- pandemic, which didn't work out. Only very few <laughs> people—they could only claim very few deaths, right? At that time, <laughs> yeah, they didn't Idiots. really. But, and then, and then they were trying, and they were doing, they were doing, they were trialing. You know, they were, they were simulating it. They've been simulating it up until October 2019. There was a big simulation then. Um, the, the Spars event, pandemic, right? The, the event two hundred one. Oh, I was Even, thinking right. of the, event 201, the John right. Hopkins so,
1: Spars pandemic.
0: So again, I think they had it in, you know, the, up their sleeve for a while, and they were waiting for the the right time to execute it. Um, they knew. I, I think they knew what what, what they were doing. Uh, yes, there's a degree of panic because the situation is um, is extreme at the moment, right? I think we are really reaching reaching the the end. Of, of of a trajectory of a of a uh, of a long trajectory and um, yeah they know that somehow they know that but they can't stop there's no way that they can turn back and say look there's a mistake there's a mistake here we gotta we gotta do something else it's impossible they're not gonna do it so we are facing very 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 difficult times definitely um, but also exciting because there's a possibility that something else might come along right there's some some kind of different social, different social bond, different discourse that might organize our lives differently, not around the uh, ideals that are now clearly obsolete, that they don't work in terms of sustaining us any longer. They don't create a society, they destroy society. So um, Chris it's Hedges, not up to me to say what will do yeah. it, but it's, it's, there's an opportunity. When there's a crisis, there's an opportunity also for radical change, right? I think that's what it's becoming more and more this is not just a cyclical crisis of capitalism, right? Normally you get a cyclical crises and then right. we go back to the same. Here we are going, I think this is a terminal crisis, right? It's a proper terminal disease. We're not, it's not going to recover unless it turns authoritarian or totalitarian.
2: Which seems and to that, be where it's going. But can you yeah. see, can you, do you have something in your head where you could see a positive outcome? At the beginning of this pandemic, um, there was a, a professor out of, uh, Canada, um, Vervecki, um, and he talked about what he called the, the meaning crisis and the idea yeah. of the Kairos versus the Kronos, the Kairos yeah. being a moment in time where things can change. And when right. they did the lockdown, I thought this is that moment where that. we can actually- re-examine the system and do something different it felt very positive to me because i Absolutely. still wasn't sure of the whole story so i'm like oh we get to take two weeks off reassess figure out if we want to go to that exactly. job figure out if we want to do these things figure out do i really want to keep doing what i'm doing i it felt like a tremendous opportunity for change i felt to exactly envision, the same as you yeah a new I, change I, I, what is the, what could a new change look like I I I, I, often think about the Velvet Revolution, if maybe you could think about that. When the Soviet Union's power collapsed, then the local power was toothless. And the people just walked in and said, nope, out. We're doing something else now. Can you envision something like that happening on a larger scale at this juncture?
0: First of all, I have to say that I had that utopian sort of hope or moment also in terms of Kairos and not Kronos during the lockdown because mm. it, it was almost like a different time dimension that had that come in. Right. And one, one that would allow us to disconnect, you know, from the rat race. Um, and and think a different structure, right? Maybe there's this room to think. And I had, I was hopeful that I even wrote a piece that I thought, you know, wow, this is a different time here. Unplug it and plug it back in. <laughs> yeah, but but unfortunately, <laughs> you know, we were plugging straight back in. Yeah, So we right. were not really, it was a bit of an illusion, I have to say, and maybe a naive one as well. But uh, inevitably, it, it was felt, you know, and I think a lot of people felt it and um, maybe it gave a lot of people the feeling that, there's another way of, of living, right? You don't have to have the stupid job, like, like, you know, necessarily, and you can do something different with your time. Right. Um, you can exchange, uh, you know, you can create your livelihood in a different way, not one that employed, you know. And I think that will s- slowly, I think it will come. People will slowly realize, it. I think more people, a lot of people have already realized it. From what I hear about a lot of people not going back to their jobs. Oh yeah. Um, in in the states particularly i I hear a lot about that in the states i don't know whether it's true or not but it's it's it broke a spell as a a phenomenon yeah yeah they found me they had
1: to go they had to survive in other ways right so they figured out how to and then they realized that they could have meaning and also survive yeah and they're like "Fuck you
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah I i think that's this will come it will need though It will need a different social structure. It will need a different understanding of a community, a different understanding of livelihood, of work, even, right? These are the things I'm interested in. Yeah. Yeah. Work cannot go back to being what work is for capitalism any longer. It's not working. (laughs) I think we keep
2: getting fascinated by the story and the slow motion train wreck. And it feels like we're going to allow. Entities like the World Economic Forum to create the next iteration in culture, which they have a lot of money, power, influence to do, is to create yeah. the new culture Yeah, where we should be doing that. Right. We should be imagining right. what could be done differently. And I think I that's why I wanted to ask you these questions. I wanted to figure out if you can see a vision of how when that moment happens where the spell breaks, where people realize it's an unsustainable system. And we're not just talking about the financial system because it ties into work. It ties into education. It ties into politics. It ties into media. It ties yep. into technology. It, the whole thing is of a piece. So when we're talking about a system collapse, we're talking about something that could happen suddenly right. and completely across all sectors of life. Yeah. And is there a way to prepare ourselves for that moment so that we could step in with new visions instead of just taking mm-hmm. the one-size-fits-all from the World Economic Forum?
0: I mean, are you I, following I, people I, I, that have I, these ideas? They they have a plan for us, definitely. They know that they cannot use us in employment any longer as much as we worked in the past. They can put us in front of the television, on the sofa... They can, they can write us a check every month so that we survive and we consume, right? Because we need to consume, continue mm-hmm. to consume. But then, you know, as long as we're under control and they know what we're doing and we, they know how we're spending their money, they're fine with it. So they have a plan that involves kind of, inevitably involves taking people off work, you know? Redundant people, so universal credit and things like that. They, they, they already are going to do that. Um, are that you, work in are you favor. personally
1: it, against universal basic income?
0: I'm not. I'm not necessarily against it. No, I'm not necessarily against it. I think it can work. It can help people even to think. Can they can give them a space to think in a different mm. way. But they want they want to use it. So that they can control people more and more, right? It's our money. We give you the money. We want to know how you spend it. We want to know what you do with it. If you misbehave, we're going to give you a bit less next time. Mm. Well, the mm. QR yeah. code tied right. to it,
1: universal basic income right. tied to a chip is is, is very
0: that yeah. pro- makes it problematic. Very yeah. powerful. <laughs> yeah. The moment this this you know, the moment they can control the the flow of money, then they can control everything. Um, and that's what I think they want to do. But um, in terms of real alternatives, I can think of. I, it's difficult to have the shopping list, you know, because these right. are moments where things have to create and, and develop almost spontaneously. It's difficult to to But I can see sort of alternative, a kind of alternative communities to begin to grow locally, perhaps initially, and then create networks that are go beyond the local and start cooperating with themselves. Um, I think that's the only way in which a meaningful resistant, there is a resistance to what's going on uh, can be successful. I I don't think I kind of head-on resistance can do much here. I I I'd, I'd love to see that, but mm. I struggle to see how it could beat them. Right, um, right? When you
2: say head-on resistance, you mean like going to the
0: streets, right? And say, which, hey, stop still, that! Yeah. yeah. Well, I still, yeah, <laughs> I, I still, I still appreciate that when I see it, and I, you know, it myself, you know. But um, I don't think it's going to be much joy. Out. I mean, you definitely cannot vote yourself out of this situation, right? That's one thing. That's for sure. Politically, there's nothing you can do, I don't think. I don't think you can vote yourself, you know, elect somebody who's going to do what you want them to do. Do
1: you feel as though that's the case in Europe, in European countries as well?
0: Absolutely everywhere. To see how the left has sort of totally abandoned the the scene and sort of joined, joined those in power, it's remarkable. The last 30, 40 years, there's been one betrayal after the other. Um, and they now are, you know, totally co-opted into 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 the power, into the power the power structure. Dramatically, so. so dramatically. There's nothing we can hope from them. Absolutely, only idiots can hope something from from from, from this kind of political left. I think. Well, it I feels think.
2: like all the liberal democracies have just done a, a, an orbit into a proto-fascist, right, non-democratic. <laughs> top-down authoritarian system.
0: Yeah, like it the just left happened. is part of it. The left is totally part. Of it. Look at their reaction to this crisis. They are all, you know, in, in, in support of of, of, of this uh, narrative that, that hypnotizes people. Um, this, I, I, politically, I think there's very, very little space, you know, there's nothing we can do. Um, but
2: Using maybe, the system, using the system is what you're saying. To, to, yeah. to use, this, after use a the mechanism point, of the broken system to fix the broken system is not going to happen. Because after a no. certain
1: point, the system is paid for. Yes. It's bought, the system has co-opted. it's bought by someone. The left
0: has co-opted the left and, mind, and the left has, has let itself be co-opted by the system. And now they're all sharing power and doing what, you know, doesn't make any difference whether you're green, red, blue, whatever, you know, the, the system is going to continue regardless. And, um, um, so I think the alternative would be to create some kind of, or oh, these things I think will 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 begin to emerge. This kind of parallel societies, and parallel social communities, where you can begin to organize your life in a way that is not directly connected with uh, the profit-making machine, which is now very you know destructive of society itself. Clearly, so you're I,
2: talking about decoupling labor. Right I, From I that machine we, for right. its own self-interest and having human labor go towards building parallel institutions that might better service than yeah. the predatory right. labor system.
0: Yeah, because okay. you, don't, you, you need to reinvent the meaning of labor here, obviously, right? Like, right. Because the, the, the great invention of capitalism since the very beginning was labor. So capitalism created a quantifiable type of labor and said, if you work for 12 hours, I will pay you so and so. That's the way in which the capitalist system began and kind of snapping out of the the feudal system. All of a sudden labor was, in a sense, laborers were free, but only free to sell their labor for a certain amount of money. And I think the crucial invention, creation of, the very clever creation of of, of capitalism was to equate uh, a certain amount of labor to a certain amount of money. That's the kind of original fiction, if you like, that created capitalism, because only through that equation, you can then create, you can then exploit labor, you can pay them for, for, you know, 10 hours and make them and make them work 12 hours. So you can extract and, profit out of it and change you know what I mean?
2: the value of $12. So right. you're you you're getting paid $12 and have always been paid $12 while the yeah. dollar has gone down in value and people yeah. just continue to think they're getting paid $12 cuz that's what's on the check.
0: Hmm. But I think that 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 idea of of labor is now obsolete. You know, it's not that's, as I was saying, it's not creating enough even even looking at it from the perspective of the exploiters it's not working anymore
2: it's not going to what would it's a not new definition because it definition... doesn't create
0: enough profit and so that profit cannot trickle down to go back to that image and cannot sustain support society the infrastructures you know and then states are in debt you know the debt is this is a debt society right i mean we are so indebted that that there's, there's you know we struggle to pay interest on that um so it's 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 not it's not working and it won't continue to work for, for. so labor labor itself needs to reinvent itself. You what, know, you what would that look have like? This equation, any longer.
2: Yeah, what would that look like if you read like what's the new definition of
0: labor or? Well, that's interesting. That we need to come up with a different uh, a different sort of value attached to labor, which is not necessarily quantifiable as as something oh. that you can pay for because that's the capitalist. Trademark, you know, this is the capitalist trademark. Is we 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 set you free to work for us, and we create an equivalence between the time you work and the money you get paid. Right? It's it's a quantifiable, scientifically quantifiable almost. This goes hand in hand with the scientific discourse, incidentally. Right? This idea of quantifying human life human life cannot be fully quantified right it's it's just ridiculous if you think about it how can you quantify labor it's it's it, it's a fiction it's something that's been imposed on us and we now believe and the, the whole world has been running on this fiction for mm. a long time but now it's not working any longer so labor itself has to reinvent its its uh, its value
2: there has to right? be it, and there has to be a, a reevaluation of
0: values Right or values attached to labor. We need to think about social values. We need to think about other things, not necessarily monetary values. You know? Are you familiar so, with
2: the uh, with the uh, um, Hansi Freinacht and the the meta modernists or the meta modernist movement? Uh, no. This cat Hansi Frieck he talks about this idea of of parallel institutions. And right. when we think of capital, we think of money or an asset, a house, some kind of tangible or intangible financial model. And he invites us to sort of change our ideas of different kinds of capital, social capital. If you're good with people, that should be a kind of capital you could use to negotiate the world with. If you're super sexy, you have sexual capital that could be used to get things, do things, influence things. If you're funny, you have a way to educate or connect people in different ways. And those different kinds of capitals, these are... What I'm thinking of when I hear about new values of labor, it means being able to value things that are decoupled from the almighty dollar and realizing that as a social activist, somebody who can actually take a complex story, break it down to a simple story so people can see the problem that needs to be addressed, which is often I feel like the people don't even know what the problem is right now. Right. So they can't even think about creating a solution to the problem because they don't they don't can't get their heads wrapped around it. I really think that there's so much corruption in the system that most people are too nice and too kind and too loving and too empathetic to imagine that there's this level of fuckery going on. And so if they can't imagine it,
0: they can't conceive
2: of a solution to it.
0: Yeah. I, I agree. I think there's also a degree, once again, of denial. People kind of sense that there's something wrong, but they're so scared of losing what they have, mm. incl- including the sense of being, their identity within the system, mm. uh, that they repress that knowledge. You know, they pretend that it's not there. So Cognitive uh, uh, dissonance. Yes, cognitive dissonance. They, they don't want to face the fact that things are not working. But I think like, the idea, like calling it capital suggests to me that we're still thinking of it in terms of kind of monetary Mm. entity, right? Where I'm thinking of labor as something that, People need to work, right? I mean, we we do work intellectually all the time. We're working now, in a sense. But there's a difference
1: between work that you do in order to have the basic necessities of living, and then there's work that you do because it's something that you desire to do, because it's something you're passionate about, because it's something that you want to contribute to your community.
2: Pursuit of happiness. Like, those are two different
1: kinds of work. I absolutely think people need meaningful projects and labor and challenges.
0: Absolutely. but I
1: don't think people need work as in you, they need to be at Burger king
0: you don't need to do a stupid job to get to get paid no. in order to work you know that's that's but that's I think that idea is now I think slowly but surely becoming obsolete and people will probably realize it the problem is what what comes next right because I think as you say people need to be challenged need to need, need to be inspired need to desire need to you know all this is related to working as well mm-hmm. right the idea of working and, and, and a healthy idea of work yeah. But 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 the problem is that it's, it's um, you know the problem is that the capital has created its own labor. It's you know there's a very nice way of putting it. I think that the moment you think of capital as creating labor as part of itself, uh, if you think about it, capital became capitalism when it created labor so that it could profit from it and yeah. create wealth yeah. out of it. Right? That's the that's the kind of subterfuge. The, the little trick. The, the, the first capitalist used effectively to move out of the contradiction of the feudal system and into modernity, capitalist modernity, where individuals were, were free, but they were free to sell the labor to uh, to mm-hmm. the owner of the means of production who, who would employ you in order to exploit you and to create, create wealth out of your labor. But oh, now this is so not much. working. <laughs> It feels like a grayscale. Um, They're just
1: rearranging themselves in my brain live. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, because I've been, I've been, I've been really kind of, I've been. I wrote a book about it called Unworkable, incidentally, which is coming out soon. And I, I look at the start of the of of you know, how capitalism started, sort of, not only created itself, but started to become a social discourse that kind of controlled everything else, controlled society, and created new values and so on and so forth. And to me, the key moment. It really is the creation of wage labor.
1: Hmm.
0: You know, the the creation of wage labor is a capitalist invention.
1: Right. Instead uh, of you working on your farm to have the things you need for your life, now you're working on someone else's farm and then you take the money you earn from that to go buy the things from the farm you worked on.
0: Right. Right. That's, that's very good. That's very good. The I think that's, story, that's, exactly yeah. <laughs> that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And you're creating, you're creating capital. You're creating profits, and then that, you know. So um, the moment the moment this mechanism uh, stops working, um, you know, it's, it, there's a problem for everyone.
1: Um, so Mokai in South Africa uh, asks. Wow. Do you think the travel bans on countries, like with South Africa, was an effort to keep money in circular flow and not entirely based on health reasons?
0: Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, this is one of the, the, the industries that has been obviously damaged the most by lockdowns and so on and so forth. And, and it's, it's, again, a way of controlling money circulation, the velocity in which money circulates. And therefore, it's, it's a deflationary measure. I've been traveling to Italy in December, beginning of December, and I've never seen anything like that. Like, empty airports, nobody around, cities like Milan or empty, literally empty, mm-hmm. like ghost cities, you know, ghost towns. There's no, no nobody around. There's no money circulating. And then suddenly realize, yeah, they, they, they don't want us. It's paradoxical, isn't it? Because up until... You know, up until a few years ago, you thought, yeah, consumer capitalism, that's, that's what it's all about. You've got to enjoy, spend, enjoy, spend, enjoy, spend. Now we've entered a different stage where they're saying, hang on a second, you know, we, we want, you need to spend, but the way we want you to spend.
2: Well, they've okay. got it reduced down to just spending on testing all day long. As
0: right. As part of the medical <laughs> industrial
2: complex, you can just yeah, spend your yeah. money on your neurosis. Right.
0: Yes, exactly. But um, I think ultimately we've had we've had this um, yeah this it's, it's deflationary. It has the effect of not only controlling people's lives in a kind of biopolitical way, but also in a very concrete way controlling the movement of money.
1: Biopolitical.
0: <laughs> yeah. Sorry, it's one of those terms that we hear again and again, right? I don't
1: want that either. <laughs> um, <laughs> I. Know, John- neither do I. John on Facebook says is proposing this all stems from the next cultural change, the automated revolution. The system is trying to eliminate human error, and the preparation yeah. is going to be down through human systems integrations. It's going to be important to determine what people will be, in, which what people will be in control of the machines that handle everyday operations. Very good. Who is I that totally from? agree, John Ivanovich.
0: Yeah. Ah, right yeah. on. I think that's a really key point. Who's going to control? Because if you think about it, we don't need. We don't need to work as hard as we used to to produce the okay. goods, right, uh, any longer. Machines can do it more and more, intelligent machines, mm-hmm. be AI now. So the problem will be who controls those machines. Maybe there needs to be some kind of socialization of the means of production. I know it sounds very socialist and very old-fashioned, again, as a term, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. why not, right? Some kind of socialization of the means of production, some kind of organization around that idea that are the the means of production are shared socially amongst the people rather than owned by few people who are controlled by other people on Mm -hmm. top of them and so so on and so forth.
1: this last week, this weekend, um, as part of our current unit study, we've been watching the three zeitgeist movies from 2007 to 2012. Uh, they're free on YouTube. Anybody can watch them. Um, they're documentaries. They're a particular documentary team's perspective on the information Mm -hmm. that they've gathered about the U S and global affairs and human culture as it is being overruled by finance and run by Profit And what profit needs in order to continue is scarcity. And so we'll never have, as long as the goal, as long as profit is God, we're never going to have a society that is truly abundant and efficient, Mm. because advances in technology would create abundance and efficiency, but they would also diminish profit margin. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's been a, a shifting in my head that like if we want to have a fully automated system where humans don't have to do bullshit jobs and can instead do jobs that they really care about, um, that would that – would, it involves more technology and that means that we have to be okay with not as much profit because as things get more and more efficient, yeah. you, you – right. <laughs>
0: yes no i agree the, the the key the key issue is that of power once again, right we don't think about power any longer, but power is crucial who's who's holding you know who's holding power who has the power there when what all that technology is doing is doing the, the the you know the work essentially who's in control of mm-hmm. the machines I think and it starts who,
2: with information and the internet too I think when we lost yeah. net neutrality and now and then Google decided that they were no longer going to use the phrase don't be evil um right. <laughs> They just decided that they were not going to do that anymore. Um, It seems that uh, I like, I think we should be having more conversations about how do you socialize a social network that we rely upon so that the TOS to participate is not at odds with the bill of rights. Right. Uh, Google has been changing information. Wikipedia has been changing information. They've just Absolutely. been deleting things that don't go along with the narrative, deleting people, deleting information that was readily available two years ago and legitimate. It was, it was legitimate. And then certain things have been delegitimized and I don't think it has been on the up and up. So I don't think when we start talking about the idea of nationalizing or, or socializing certain things that we get benefit from, like, I, th- I think we need to start with the internet. I think that's, it's our means of communication with each other. Right. Yeah. And if people cannot search what's actually happening in their world, that was the whole promise of this technology. You can go there and find out. And now there are yeah. blocks.
0: Yeah, yeah. Or, or there's an algorithm that, that already finds the answers they want for your search, right? So you, you get like five or six pages with the same kind of information yep. again and again and again where, until you convince yourself that that's the only um, truth. Right. Whereas, you know, you can't find you can't find what you're looking for really because they already organize the answer and they already give you the answer through an algorithm. So yeah, I think that's been a massive shift in in the perception of freedom that we had attached to the internet and mm. and and, and these search engines and, and Wikipedia is another one that it's not free, uh, clearly not free, right? But we always thought that yeah, that's a nice source of information. We go and find our information there. All yeah, of a sudden we realize that it's all bullshit that actually it's controlled like Google and so on. They clearly are. Um, so yeah, you're right. Like freeing those, uh, the potential of communication.
2: Yeah. Cause we cru- can't communicate with, cru- with each other if we're Googling different realities. Absolutely. Yeah. Like if you're living in a different, like your, your socio economic religious status is going to give you a feed that I don't get.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then we're going to argue, Because we don't have access. We actually don't have access to all the information. Yeah, I think that's like one of those, hey, maybe we should start there.
1: Since Google's contract tells employees that they can be fired for failing to abide by the motto, don't be evil, it must have meaning. Google did not immediately return a request for comment. The don't be evil principle is often um, attributed to two early employees, Paul Bushite and Amit Patel. Um, Coincidentally... The move to change the slogan, don't be evil, came at the same time dozens of Google employees resigned after the company continued its association with the U.S. military. These employees cited ethical concerns and warned that autonomous weapons directly contradicted the firm's famous don't be evil motto. Mm. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. there's huh. a lot of... Oh, my God.
1: Why are you spying on me, Google? <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, no, that's
0: that really plays into the... To the discussion about communication, like um, I come from a from a psychoanalytic background. In many ways, I, uh, I I'm a great fan of Jacques Lacan, was a French psychoanalyst who kind of followed up from Freud.
2: I oh, was just going to ask uh, you about
0: this. So yes, yeah. perfect. You asked me. You ask me yeah, discourse. I just wanted, I just discourse, wanna turn into discourse is a social.
2: Sticker.
1: Yeah,
0: discourse is social bond. Discourse I want to know is what that means. Bond, and uh, it's being ripped away lady, from us.
1: Know, <laughs>
0: Yeah. I think like um, from a Lacanian perspective, you know, Lacan was a psychoanalyst, but he he, he was a philosopher as well. And he he clearly was not just about the one-to-one in the the clinic. It wasn't about just about the clinic, but it Mm. was about the social bond, as he called it, right? The social link or the social bond, which which really is about discourse for him. Discourse is the social bond. um, And in a sense for him discourse is inevitable. You know, as soon as you have language, you have a discourse. Language is the kind of elementary form of alienation. You know, we are kind of, Mm. as I put it, we, we are spoken by language. We're never really fully in control of language. We're really never fully in control of communication. We communicate all the time because we miss each other. We never, you know, we misunderstand each other, right? If we understood each other, we we wouldn't have to communicate communicate any longer. (laughs) Let's say we understand each other, but there's something in language which we can't fully control. It's actually the opposite. Language is speaking through us, as it were, as it is a paradox that he uses a lot. But the point, the, the fundamental point is that every discourse, every human, every social discourse is based fundamentally on language. Language itself is a fiction. We know that, right? Language is not something that exists in nature. Our language, we've we've invented it, and it's a symbol of system of science that we believe in, we have to believe in, um, in order to, to communicate and, and to create a social bond. But um I think for, for it's interesting what he says about. Uh, I always try to historicize his discourse theory a little bit. I I, I like to historicize it a bit. So he talks about discourse of the master, discourse of the hysteric, discourse of the analyst, discourse of um, the university, and then he talks about discourse of capitalism in mm. in the early 70s. And and it doesn't talk much about it, but what it says is very is very intriguing because it says that it's a kind of discourse without discourse. You know, it's it's, some, it's something that that seems to function perfectly well. Um, without any interruptions, without any break, you know, without any, any, um, because the prerogative of discourse is that it fails, right? There's there's a lack in it. Uh, at some point, why it is fails.
1: What, why? There's a,
0: there's there's an impotence, as it were, uh, in in discourse. Because as 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 I said at the beginning, we cannot fully control language.
2: Language can only go so far,
0: right? It only yeah.
2: represents the thing and isn't the thing.
0: Yeah exactly um but with capitalism is almost as if language doesn't matter because the system um the system is almost in a way beyond language it's based on a discourse which is paradoxically discourse less it's about creating well you know we need to kind of i I don't want to go into too much detail because it gets complicated but it's practically about the idea that you know, a discourse is created between um, um, a subject and another. Right? You you have to have a connection, linguistic connection between subject and other. But as as I said, this connection is never really fully successful. Um, whenever we speak, uh, we always say something more or less than we want to say. Right? <laughs> we, we, it, it, and that is not just about. It's not just about the signifiers we use, it's not just about the language we use, but it's about the tone. It's about the perception of our, you know, even the voice, you know, has a massive impact on how communication works and so on and so forth. So for him, for Lacan, the fundamental issue about uh, about language in this course is that language is needed. It's It's the elementary form of alienation for us. Without it, we wouldn't be able to create a social bond. But at the same time, it creates something that by definition fails. Uh, and that failure is also the measure of our freedom because we can constantly hope to recreate a different social bond, right? Mm. Precisely because it fails. If it didn't fail, we would be trapped. We would be caged within one discourse only.
3: Mm.
0: So the, 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 the failure of the discourse is its condition of possibility insofar as it can recreate itself in a different direction. Um, so for example, when he talks about the discourse of the master, the discourse of the master master in a way is the discourse of tradition, of conservative tradition, where we have symbolic authority, somebody embodying symbolic authority, I don't know, a king, for example. But uh, the more it the more it embodies symbolic authority, the more it also uh potentially fails. So every 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 kind of powerful entity can also be seen as powerless, right? Mm. And that's always happened in history. Um, with capitalism, the funny thing is that power is, is not visible, almost, right? We don't really know who's in charge. Mm. And in a sense, the, the, the power of the discourse is um, disavowed, uh, becomes invisible, and it's taken on by the mechanism itself, by the profit-making machine. Which, uh, for Lacan, its 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 peculiarity is that it creates um, it creates an object which is the commodity, which becomes object of desire, and feeds into the mechanism so perfectly that you know our desire is 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 kind of is um, co opted within the discourse itself. Ah. In the, in the form of desires for commodities. What do you right? what
1: do you call it when it's politics? Um, something choice, contrived choice, or something like that. Oh, um, you say it all the time. I know. I know. About I, I, like, I, I, hey, you get to vote for Trump or Biden. You have mm. a choice. Oh, it's a Prescribed yeah. it's a prescribed choice. Yeah. Prescribed, yeah. Choice. Yeah. prescribed yeah. choice. Yeah. And we have, we have these in in almost every area of our lives without realizing that we're we're not truly free to make choices.
0: Mm. Yeah, in a sense, the system, the capitalist system, manages to hide its own impotence, and it's and it's hidden it mm. very well for 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 many you know, centuries, perhaps, right? Um, precisely by by not by by eliminating the figure of power, so you don't have the figure of power in front of you, you don't have a king in front of you, you have a mechanism which now it's kind of naturalized into our lives. Mm. Um, you know, we've internalized it so much that we cannot really distinguish it from what we are even, right? So our desire, for example, is, tends to be desire for commodities or desire for work uh, in order to, to buy commodities and so on and so forth, right? So or to naturalize
2: buy it. time. Yeah. So you actually have your own
0: time.
1: Right. Have right. you have you ever watched um, Adam Curtis's documentaries through the BBC?
0: What's he called again? Ad- Ad-
1: Adam Curtis. Yeah, uh, Adam Curtis is a documentarian that has produced several documentaries over the last right. couple of decades through the BBC, and they're free okay. on YouTube. They're, they've cu- YouTube has cut out a couple of scenes um, <laughs> for being too graphic, um, right? <laughs> but um, but in general, you can see the entire documentary for free on YouTube, and he just he takes all of this archival footage and just weaves the story together of like. Uh, this politician was in this country when this upheaval was happening, and then they went to this country, and then this financial crisis changed, and that had to do with disco, and that had to do with marijuana, and then people started changing their hairstyles, and now we have women smoking, and, yeah. and obviously that's all out of order. But like he 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 does a great job for me at least as someone who was taught a very compartmentalized version of history of just talking about like how the planet and the people in power on the planet have been influencing each other over the last hundred years or Mm. slightly more than that now. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Adam Curtis's work, he takes a bunch of, um, we knew these stories from history, but then he, Mm. he can Mm. sort of lays the layer back to see how they were not disconnected. Mm. Um, I really like his work. It's very, it's very, he has his lovers and his haters, but Mm. it's, it's narrative storytelling is what it is. Narrative storytelling by looking at things that you knew separately, but you never put together as a
0: thing. Mm. Anyway, I like his work a lot, but yeah. Uh, so going back to what I was saying quickly, it's like, you know, we're talking about capitalism, we're talking about also science at the same time, because science plays a big part in, I think today we see it very clearly, right? Science becomes a kind of new authority, new form of authority. Uh, in the past, we had symbolic authorities, like people representing power, for example, very clearly in front of everybody else. And as I said, power was also the mirror of its impotence all the time, right? Because, you you know, you could cut the king's head or something, You, you the moment, the moment. But when you don't see that any longer, you have today power as a kind of scientific form of objectivity almost, right? Science as, as a new kind of authority, which is not based on symbolic authority. So, you know, you're coming from a certain family and, and embodying power in a certain way. It's got to do with a certain idea of objectivity. We're supposed to believe it because it's subjective, objective, right? And science, I think together with capitalism too, create this idea of power as something invisible and something that has morphed into some kind of objective system that we can't contrast really. We can't really Mm. fight any longer. Mm. Um, You know, in fact, a system that can only implode, right? It cannot be attacked from outside. It can only implode out of its own arrogance almost, right? It becomes so global now that there's, there's no way we can think of an external force unless we believe in aliens or something, right? They can come and destroy the capitalist system. It's almost like it, it can only destroy itself through implosion um, by itself, right? It's, it's, yeah, I think it's, it's so doing.
2: inconceivable to most people. I mean, I have a hard time getting my head wrapped around the scale of it.
1: What's right. inconceivable? It,
2: Just the idea that most people would never admit that they could be subjected to propaganda
1: oh nobody likes to think that they've been brainwashed
2: nobody wants to think they've been brainwashed nobody wants to admit that maybe they got conned in some way that reality is not exactly as they thought it was but actually far more complex or far more simple and when that that is the thing that i i feel like is um wait i forgot where i was going
1: I did the same thing with the Adam yeah, Curtis yeah. thing. I was saying something about Adam Curtis because of something that yeah. Fabio was saying, and then I yeah. just completely blanked why I was bringing it up.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, I, like, kind so... of, I don't want to be as difficult to, <laughs> to keep. But, I, you know, yeah, I think it's uh, the basic point is that if you don't have a representative of power in front of you, you're even more fucked, basically, because you're enslaved into a mechanism which has become objective for you, and real objective internalized as a mechanism and you cannot simply sort of attack power, any you know, longer. where is power, you know? We don't even know who runs Black, BlackRock, uh, for example. We don't really know exactly who's behind the scenes. We are told that we should believe certain authorities, but these authorities are not symbolic, traditional symbolic authorities any longer. They are, for example, science. And science, right. the, the authority of science comes from, it's, it's the, the assumption that it's objectively true, right? Which is a false assumption, because science, in fact, has got nothing to do with with that idea. Science is it's, it's all about ex- experimenting and and trying and desiring and mm-hmm. finding out something new and making mistakes and 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 without that, there's no science.
1: Science is a so question, not an answer. So when we talk an about answer. science,
0: yeah. we're talking about scientism, which is something different—the belief that science is a form of scientism. objective truth, right? Yep, yeah, and 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 I think that's that's what 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 makes in a sense the, the power that we have in front of us even more invincible from that point of view because you know it's kind of turned into some kind of objective discourse not as a subjective discourse mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. the discourse of somebody who embodies power but the whole mechanism the whole kind of system is objectively it you know but how 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 to attack it how to kind of it's it's very difficult to find the enemy.
2: Isn't that sort of mirrored in the idea of the war on terror? Because that's just a concept. You're 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 at yeah. war with a, a a political device, which could be assigned to anybody, anywhere, at any time, depending on who's making the Absolutely. assignment.
0: But, but so, I think that's it, that's the other interesting paradox when. When when the system becomes so global and so total, right? Almost total, literally, occupies all spaces, uh-huh. you know, there's nowhere else to go, then the only way that it that it can reproduce itself is by creating an enemy. Right. An external enemy. Because it needs that enemy desperately in order to. Otherwise, it's left alone with itself and with its own contradictions. The contradictions can always be externalized onto an enemy. If you if you say, Oh, war on terror, then you know, you're not looking at your own contradictions anymore, but you're blaming the other, in this case, the terrorist. Um, and, you know, this is an old trick, obviously. They, you know, you think about how the Nazis did it with the Jews, you get the same kind of scapegoat. You know, the, 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 the enemy is out there. Mm-hmm. If, we, if we defeat the enemy, then everything will be fine. Um, but, you know, you always need an enemy. You need a new enemy. Had um, you
1: heard about this? You can con- think of, sorry, go sorry.
0: ahead. You can think of the virus as the enemy as well, right? As as a, as a, another yeah. representation of that of that enemy, right? No, <laughs> that, no. if, okay, you look say. At it. It? Oh, look at the virus. <laughs> you yeah. say. It.
1: Had you heard about this concept of the mass formation?
0: Yes, I Before have. Before yes, Dr. Yes, Malone
1: yes, talked yes. about it on Joe yes. Rogan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, yes, yes. Who hasn't, right? Who hasn't?
1: Well, well lots a lot, of people. Apparently, a lot of people had not. Wikipedia had to it. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's, no, off. But
0: here, Europe,
2: yeah, it's uh, off. Wikipedia now.
1: So what's what's like... <laughs> yes. Yes, so yes they, I know. When it became popular because uh, of Joe Rogan's massive platform, Wikipedia and Google were actually down for half a day scrubbing the results for mass formation in order yeah. to redirect them to approved descriptions, much like they scrubbed the definition of terrain theory and turned it into germ theory denialism right. when that hit the right. mainstream. So we her first heard about mass formation in an interview with Matthias Desmond in October. October right. yeah. 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 Um, And we should have interviewed him then before he got (laughs) hot topic. (laughs) But I was wondering, so that circulates in Europe. And I'm wondering if maybe the US is able to be brainwashed into being told that mass formation isn't a real psychological concept, because it's actually (laughs) a word or phrase that originated in a different language. In Europe, yeah. and so, so <laughs> yes. we don't have the phrase "mass formation" as it's directly translated in English, and that's why people right. maybe that's so. Like, what are some of the local phrases for mass formation? Like, I'd be mass ha-
0: psychology, or
1: no, like in mass in-
0: psychology, yeah. Yeah. Mass yes, mass psychology, psychology perhaps, yeah. It because exist. he talks about mass mass formation psychosis. You know, this man, uh, right. this man talks about that yeah. specifically, and then he kind of breaks it down into hypnosis and. And so on. I find that really fascinating. I, I don't think this, it's particularly new as an idea that, that there is this kind of psychological control of people. We know that it's been going on for a long time. Um, no, no,
1: it doesn't. Experts say it doesn't happen.
0: Yes, experts oh, say happen. it doesn't oh, right. happen. No, so, okay. Sorry. sorry.
1: Yeah. Yes. Mob, mob, mob <laughs> psychology has been debunked hundreds of times. My God. <laughs> experts say. Speaking yeah. Experts say. Experts say, I know. We have, some, we, we have someone tuning in on YouTube whose handle is germ theory disrespector. Okay. Uh-huh. Which I appreciate I appreciate right. that handle. Yeah, <laughs> especially because they renamed terrain theory to be germ theory, germ denialism. theory denialism. It, a, yeah. it doesn't wow. even exist. It's just a debunked scientific theory that was in competition with Pasteur. They don't even tell you yes. who it is anymore.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. It was
0: I didn't
2: realize that. Yeah. Oh, they the, erased that guy. They did that last I didn't summer. realize Beauch- that. not yeah. the guy? Yeah, Bouchard. Yeah, Beauchamp. Yeah. Beauchamp. Oh, he's, yeah. Gone. he's gone. Yeah. He's not just, uh, really? Yeah. yeah.
3: The Wikipedia wow. is they,
2: got, really rid of, they got rid of they uh, got rid of terrain theory. We were talking That's about ridiculous. terrain theory in March, April of 2020, and we're like, "Well, let's try to see if there's some value to this." And we talked about it quite a bit. And then this year, it's gone. It's it's right? now not just gone. I can't
0: believe that. That's well, I can believe that. It's, I mean, but it confirms like what we're saying before that it's, it's, it's
2: this it's, is why we can't agree on what's going on. Vaccination oh doesn't mean immunizing. Here's yeah, Wikipedia.
1: Yeah. Germ theory denialism is the wow. pseudoscientific belief that germs do not cause infectious that's diseases and that germ theory of disease is wrong. It involves arguing that Louis Pasteur's model of infectious disease was wrong and that Antoine Béchamp was right.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And it's... <laughs> that's, <laughs> so not, it's directly, that's not what they're saying.
0: Because <laughs> it, it used to be a, a massive debate, you know, in science. <laughs> You know, it's not as if it's a, a minor one. It's a huge debate. And another, it's, it's, another it's a obsolete open question, and now it's um, yeah. right. Okay.
1: Another obsolete variation is known as terrain theory and postulate. Oh. <laughs> so, oh god. Okay. Another obsolete variation is known as terrain theory and postulates that the state of the internal environment of a person determines if germs cause disease, rather than germs alone being the sole cause of it. That's not Which
0: makes a lot of sense, right? That's- <laughs>
1: It's literally science.
0: <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. What? I know. An
1: obsolete variation.
0: Yeah. It's incredible that, yeah. Uh... Um, but yeah, I mean, this is the way Checking in which out. they are weaponizing science in, and they're using it as scientism, right? And it's a form of authority. You know, science said it. Real science said it. You know, how many times have we heard that? But real science has got nothing to do with, with these answers. Real science is about testing and trying and, and trial and error. I like and, and, when they and,
2: say scientists... Agree as, just, if right. as if all of science is one <laughs>
0: mind on yeah, this subject, just, uh.
1: guys. We have 13 so, minutes until we're at the I'm, two hour mark, just to let you know. Okay,
0: yeah, that's cool. i, I, I so, yeah, that with Desmay, I, I, I like it a lot, and um, I, I think it's about like he's, he's interested in the how it happens, you know, what, right. what makes this narrative possible. Obviously, the, the, the idea of mass formation, psychosis, etc. From my angle, I would say also it's important to understand why it has happened, right? Because there's there's a root cause for this. Mm-hmm. And and I think the root cause is a systemic contradiction that can no longer be hidden. The terrain rather, is it, ready. It, it, <laughs> it, can, yeah, it can only be hidden if if we go down, you know, by by these emergency uh, mm-hmm. narratives now that are you know the part of, of, of power of, of the edifice of power.
1: What's the contradiction that you feel like has been hidden?
0: The contradiction that I feel like has been hidden is the fact that, as I was saying earlier, um, real the system is unable to produce real wealth um, in capitalist terms. is increasingly unable to produce the 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 value, economic value, to reproduce itself through it, and to reproduce societies.
1: So that's the right? lie.
0: To it's... me, that's the that's the fundamental issue that we are that you know that we, we're not recognizing, we're not confronting. And, and 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 that's why the financial system has become so powerful because there's a fundamental denial of that impotence of the system that is growing more and more impotent and you know, powerless within itself um, and is less and less able to create the conditions of possibility of capitalist societies.
2: It feels like... Um, so just the, the financial...
0: Many... The fin- is, sorry?
2: It just feels like suddenly there's just too
0: many humans. That is the other problem. But I yes. mean, the, I it's mean, the in, baby in boomer sense.
2: in the U S it's the baby boomer issue is you had this mushroom yeah. of population that has to be supported by this smaller right. stem to support all these aging people, not working anymore.
0: Yeah. I mean, but a lot of people would be out, would be out of work more and more because obviously in terms of, the law of competition is still the key law of capitalism. So, in order to compete with other businesses, you need to cut cut the cost of productions. You need to leave, you know, eliminate labor, uh, use technology instead, invest in technology, um, and so there will be a lot of people who are redundant, quite literally. That's what know, it feels a like. A useless humanity for the capitalist system.
1: If the, your the, value no is what's... determined by your ability yeah. to work and yeah. produce,
0: yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. So there will there will be a problem insofar as They still need to consume. We still need to provide for them, but they won't be productive themselves. You know, they won't help producing any wealth. So, what to do with them? (laughs) And here, here we get into conspiracy. Let them live.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like just well, be alive it's a, it's a real
2: issue right
0: Wait. I mean mm-hmm. here we
2: get if into conspiracy
0: ab- theories <laughs> <laughs> no much earlier sorry earlier. Well, I started from the beginning but, no, the, the idea of eugenics it's, it's all of a sudden you know yeah, why boom. not why not right mm-hmm. why not Yep. We know that they've been thinking about it for a while. They've been, you know, they've been thinking about you it know, for like a long time. One
1: hundred fifty years.
0: Yeah, they've, yeah. <laughs> they've, had, they've even had some good trials.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly.
0: I think that's a fascinating
1: so, concept, and we should all reconvene to st- to speak specifically yeah. about the very touchy subject of eugenics. Wow,
0: cool. Yeah. We we'll leave it on that
2: and yeah. euthanasia. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate you um, spending your evening with us and having this conversation. My I, pleasure. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to absorb it over time, and I'm really. Um,
1: can, can I ask a few questions? Just yeah, like, yeah, Just yeah, like and a, also
2: like- I, I want you to plug your book and tell people where they can find your work or your book so that people can tune in to get more of what you've been saying. I found
1: an Amazon link for all of the stuff that you've written, and I encourage cool. people to go to like Powell's Books and buy it mm. instead of from the Overlords. All right,
0: I think it's more like uh, my recent work on uh, on the pandemic. I think I've I really enjoyed writing about it. One thing that it's done for me is really kind of created this intellectual desire to go a bit deeper. The rabbit hole mm. has been a good a good journey very frustrating at the beginning, right? Very frustrating because I lost a lot of friends Uh over this. Um, Like friends that I consider really good friends, they're gone. They don't even want to talk to me or listen to me. I'm so sorry. Uh, But personally, I've also met a lot of people, uh, like-minded people, or people who are interested in this and they, like you, and and I think that's great as well because you can really make connections now. I think uh, people are more ready to receive certain um, ideas.
2: I think this is a good use of labor.
0: Yeah, I think it really is. I like I this think work. It's intellectual, intellectual labor. It's it's going to be crucial, and yeah, I, I you know appreciate it, and it's really really nice to um, to get to know you. And I've looked at your website, and I really I really <laughs> like what you're doing. Aww. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> the talent is there, right? I can really see that you got. Thank you, Fabio. Oh, that's uh, great. Well,
1: This has been just it's just been nonstop. It's been such a good uh, conversation. I, I we go just have thing. like so much. We have so of stubs, many people joining so in. Down, like yeah. we had we had so many people joining in. Thank you so much to everybody that participated on YouTube and Twitch and Facebook and our new friends, um, Germ Theory Disrespector. Yeah. Uh, that's a new friend on YouTube that we have today. Right. I appreciate you guys. Take a minute before you leave and hit likes on YouTube, friend me back on Twitch and put some angry faces on the Facebook video and yeah. think of three. three. Three people that you think would like to participate in these conversations and just send them a message. Don't spam people, but let them know that we're having a good time over here talking about tough shit and they might like to also.
2: Yeah. And sometime in the next few days, we would like you, I would like for you to maybe consider somebody else that you regard and respect that has some sort of creative um, Mm -hmm. vision towards how to get out of the fuckery. And, yeah. and maybe you can suggest some future guests for us you. That, yeah. you res- that, that you would like to share with the world. Sure. Um, sure. Definitely. Yeah. I really appreciate yeah. you being here and being a part of this.
1: We have a secret question to ask you off camera. So don't end the zoom. Okay. Meeting. I'll stay here. Yeah. Um, we're going to play a little song and then um, break away and talk with you uh, privately about our secret research project, Fabio.
2: <laughs> all right. Cool. And thanks everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next uh, Sunday. It's yeah. We really appreciate afternoon. you all.
1: Yeah. Um, they'll still be able to hear you talking through this song just so you know. Uh, okay, I up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for visiting our Outpost in the Borderlands. Post Orthodoxy is a project of Sevier Studios. We host ongoing, interactive conversations centered around cognitive liberty, and you can join in by catching one of our live streams on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitch. You can also catch each conversation after the fact as a podcast by searching for Post Orthodoxy wherever podcasts are found. If you take value from the work we are doing and the community we're building together, you can support the Outpost in the Borderlands. For as little as $5 a month on our website, BetterTime. That's betterti.me. Visit the Sevier Studios page and subscribe. You can also support the Outpost by following and connecting with us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, and or Substack. Our post-Orthodoxy theme music was composed by Frank Pascal and a special thanks goes to our voice actors Amelia, Colin, Zbo, Rosie, Gabo, Vicky, Mokai, and Tony
2: Thanks for playing
0: What's outside your reality bubble? I think I dribbled a bit that last one